I think that you can live your life however it is your heart's calling you to. And, and if your heart is calling you to live your life in a, in a way that seems flamboyant to others, I say go do it. Welcome to Connect Back In Podcast. I'm Morgan King, your host, and I'm so passionate about sharing with you the spiritual concepts that have transformed my life. It is not always an easy path, but I know within my soul that if it's good on the inside, it's good on the outside. Through interviews with experts and my personal experience, we will break down how to live a spiritual life in today's society. My hope is that you find the inspiration and support you need as you explore your own journey to connect back in. Hey guys, it's Morgan King, your host of Connect Back In. And thank you as always for being here. It's episode number 30. Pretty excited about that. Um, I actually started this just over a year ago. I kind of missed my one-year anniversary and have been meaning to call that out and celebrate it. And now it's just been too long. It was in like mid-October, I think. Um, But it's been an incredible journey. It's been super, super fun. I've met some incredible people, not only through the listeners of the podcast, but also the people that I've been able to interview. And I'm just so appreciative of everybody who presses play or shares the podcast. So first, a shout out to all of you. Thank you so, so much. This is something that I just do as a passion project. It's really fun for me. I enjoy um, connecting back in, if you will, um, with other people or with you. And yes, I am just very, very grateful. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you so, so much. Um, today's episode's pretty exciting because it's a connection with a woman named Carrie Hummingbird. I mean, even her name is magical. It's so cool. Um, we connected and I was like, oh my gosh, hummingbirds are this sign that I've been given from multiple healers that it's a representation of my dad's energy. And so I was freaking out. Um, it was actually on the day where I was trying to manifest some more speakers that I can bring on to just share more information with you, the listener. And voila, her assistant emailed me. So um, it worked out perfectly. And today we talk about how there is no right way. We've addressed this in many ways um, with other episodes, with other interviews about your inner guidance system and how that's really what's going to lead you in the direction that is best served for you. And everyone's compass is completely unique, which makes it so beautiful and fun, but it also can be challenging because we might look to others, say, hey, am I on the right path? What are they doing? And it's really just important to stay in your lane and know that what's meant for you cannot pass you by. You have your own life curriculum with experiences, challenges, people, um, your upbringing, all these different things that make you unique and who you are. And it really is a beautiful episode where we dive into this a little bit more. Carrie shares authentically um, her story, her upbringing, and kind of how she's become the person that she is today. So a little bit more about Carrie. She is a soul guide and inspires people to lead their lives wide awake, with an authenticity, passion, and purpose that positively impacts others. Mm. She catalyzes mind shifts that transform life challenges into gifts of wisdom with her Reinvent Yourself programs for individual and group mentoring. She's also an international best-selling author of The Second Wave, 
Transcending the Human Drama, and the award-winning best-selling book, Awakening to Me, One Woman's Journey to Self-Love, which describes the early years of her spiritual awakening. And she's also served as a social activist, a leader, a philanthropist for over three decades. She's the founder of the Skills Not Pills movement, and she has her own podcast, and she is the host of the Soul Nectar Show. What's really cool about her podcast is the objective, if you will, is she interviews people of all walks of life to share their story. And the idea is that you listen to that and you can maybe gather some synchronicities or maybe learn something new or understand maybe a direction you should go in, et cetera. And also just showcasing that everyone has a completely unique path. And I think that's so cool and applicable to what we talk about on the episode today. So I will stop talking. Just write or maybe have a notebook with you, have a pen if you want to write some things down, because I do think there's some pretty good nuggets in this one. It's a little bit longer, but I think that's because Carrie and I were just vibing and uh, kind of uh, burning off each other and had a lot to say. So I hope it helps you to understand that there is no right way. The only right way is your way and that your internal guidance system will lead you in the direction that you want to go. Enjoy. Okay. I know you already told me this when we had our prior conversation, just how you got here. Can you give me as much or as little backstory that you think is relevant to share with the listeners? Yeah. Okay. Well, so I was born into my mother and then I came out, but that's the quick story. Okay. (laughs) So... But basically what I know now, you know, because we don't know anything along the way. So I can only speak to what I know now mm-hmm. because that is, that makes a lot more sense. What I know now is that um, I chose my mother. I chose mm-hmm. her conditions. I chose her, um, her lineage, her ancestry for all the patterns it offered me to sort through in my, my soul's curriculum puzzle. Mm-hmm. And I chose the fact that she was married to my natural father who was, has his own ancestral history of trauma and child abuse and all kinds of things. And I was born into that in the Mm sixties when there was a summer of love and uh, people were experimenting with boundaries around sexuality and relationships. Mm -hmm. And here I come into this mix and my mom, who's this, uh, you know, um, been raised in the Southwest Texas in a small community where everybody knows everybody else's business and my grandmother is the uh, a very devoted member of the Southern Baptist Church there. Okay. And that's the environment my mom grew up in. Now she's in Dallas and she's in the Summer of Love and she's with this free-willing guy who's psychologically wounded and they have a baby. And she didn't think she could get pregnant. So there I pop in this unexpected bundle of joy into that environment. And, you know, and pretty quickly my dad, my natural father's... Um, you know, wounding started coming out and he, you know, cause of course it does, it gets passed down the ancestral line mm-hmm. and he was starting to act like he was going to be for someone who might not know what you mean by wounding. Can you elaborate on that from your perspective? Yeah. From my, well, I can be more specific. Yeah. So my natural father, he, um, he had a mother who would put him outside of hotels rooms while she had sex with other, with men. Oh, wow. He would leave him for days in the, in the hotel room by himself as a small child. So she emotionally abused this child. Mm-hmm. 
And he was even in the room sometimes seeing his mother have sex with men. So this is kind of how my natural father started growing up. So that's a very big childhood wound caused from his relationship to his mother and her state of consciousness that she had as she as he was a small boy. So couple that with my mom's own history and how she felt abused by her mother and the situation that she grew up in and her doubts and considerations about, you know, sort of the tenets of the church community that she grew up in and whether or not they were actually upholding the principles that they were talking about, right? Is is the 60s. We're talking about civil rights movement. We're talking about Martin Luther King and and all of these JFK and all these people trying to change the patterns and the ways that things have been done for generations. And here my mom is, you know, a young adult in the middle of all that turmoil and 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 leaves the the safe town and goes to the big city in Dallas and meets this man who's psychologically and emotionally sexually wounded. And, you know, he's a fun guy. He's a party guy because often people who are wounded like that are super fun, right? Mm. They have a coping mechanism to make things really fun and party. Mm. But she gets into that. And then she has me and, and well, you know, that's kind of a, not a good concoction for a child to grow up in. And my mom realizes this because she's had like a very good upbringing and, you know, in terms of morals and values and, and what family means. She just didn't agree with uh, the degree to which they were holding up their values, right, in the community. Yeah. So she leaves him and pretty soon moves in because a woman at that age, you know, that time doesn't necessarily support herself. Like that's kind of unheard of in my mom's generation. Yeah. So she's got to find another guy to take care of her and me. So she marries um, somebody at her company who's like, really seems nice, right? Seems really nice and seems like a good provider and seems awesome and turns out to be an alcoholic and very abusive physically and emotionally and verbally. So that's the environment I was raised in from one years old until five. And, you know, my mom is still concerned at this point about my natural father and his sort of, you know, not wanting to be without me and wanting me to be part of his life and wanting to be alone with me and her not wanting me to be alone with him for obvious reasons. And, and the court system at this time is not very sensitive to any of this. The court system is like, show us proof. We want yeah. pictures. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so in other words, let the abuse happen and take pictures of it and then show us and then we'll believe you. Yeah. There's not like preventative. No. Yeah. Which, you know, we've worked hard for people like my mother and her experiences, her generation worked hard to get us the protections that we have now. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my early, you know, first five years. And then at that point, um, we move locations and my mom uh, is going to leave this second, you know, the second husband, the first stepfather. And we move into this community in New England where I meet this funny man who's like really nice and really awesome. And he ends up being my dad. So my mom and him meet in this epic moment of soul connection. And he ends up being my father until he just passed away a few years ago. So my dad you know, kind of saved the day. So he gave me a grounding and unconditional love. He took me on as his own daughter, um, not his biological child. He took me on as if I was, and he just loved me completely and guided me and taught me so many lessons. He was the positive pole of the masculine for me. Mm -hmm. So here I am birthed into this sort of, you know, that's my early childhood experience, zero to seven. And what I know now is that those first seven years of your life completely shape yes. your ideas about the world and yes. how life is. Yeah. It's the program. It starts, the program and the stories start spinning and evolving 
from these early experiences that start calling to you even more experiences to affirm Mm-hmm. what you've experienced and then you have more and more and more and more and all of this childhood stuff doesn't just go away and that's I think the difference between our generation we understand that and my mom's generation didn't have that awareness right. they just think well it's in the past so just let it be in the past right but it's still but very it, much a part of their identity it's part of their identity it's it, they don't realize it because they don't right. have that level of awareness so we're talking right. about our generation is just you know every generation builds on the last generation And so we're this huge ancestral chain of learning and wisdom in the human dynamic. And here we are at the, at the, you know, the spear's edge of that Mm -hmm. into the future, right? So we are, we are aware of many more things than our generations before and before and before we're aware of. We have this refinement in awareness. So we understand that when you hit puberty, this early childhood abuse comes out. We understand that when you birth a child as a woman, all of your your early childhood trauma, all of your wounds that haven't been healed, they all rise to the surface. And so we have epidemics of postpartum depression in our mothers. So we understand these things because we're paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. So that's really, that's the, you know, my whole journey has been under figuring out, like being a pioneer of my own human consciousness and figuring out why is it when I'm 15, I have so many struggles is starting to date and my sexuality erupting and why am I so wild and why am I so, you know, uh, extreme? Why am I so dramatic? Why is all this happening? I don't understand. There's no reason for it. I have a perfectly solid home with my dad and my mom. It's very mm-hmm. solid. Why am I like this? And then when I had children, you know, why am I having postpartum depression? Why am I so, why do I want to jerk the wheel? You know? Right. Right. I don't Did know you- why. When those things happened to you, like you're saying when you're 15 and the postpartum, did you see them as right and wrong? Did you see them as like neutral? Were you just questioning them because they were there? Like, how did you feel about those experiences during those oh, well, You know, I had a big story in my life that I was a huge problem, <laughs> you know, that I was always a problem. Mm. That, I, that story got started early. Right? right, really early because when I was very young with that first stepfather, he was very violent. One of the things that would set him off is if, as a child, I annoyed him. So if I was playful or I was being myself or I was being a child and I annoyed him, mm-hmm. then he would beat up my mom. Wow. Okay. So this story started in place where I was a problem. Right. Like being me was not good. Got it. So that story just kept you know, growing and expanding and growing and expanding. So the counter of that story is I would be perfect, right? So I would have this compensatory identity of being completely perfect. Mm-hmm. So I would, I would get straight A's in school and I would be the model student and I wouldn't talk back and I would be like Just this. Like always looking for outside approval. Always. So that you weren't being a problem, right? Uh, yes, and a lot of women face the same thing. I found out it wasn't just me. It was like our generation. Mm-hmm. you know, trying to look perfect and get validation from the outside and, and be like the perfect daughter, the perfect everything. Yeah. But then the counter of that is this anger and resentment energy underneath that pleaser identity that like this anger and resentment, like of not being yourself or feeling like, well, you like the Barbie version of me, but you don't actually like me. Like, like the real me is not yeah. acceptable to you. Yeah. And at a certain point in your life, you're just done with that. Like you just, you can't handle it anymore. You're so frustrated by it. And then a whole thing erupts. So 
I reached the end of my rope on that. I was in a relationship for 20 years that it was that whole paradigm was playing out because that was my paradigm I was working with that I was in my, my mind and in my matrix. Did you have awareness that that was your paradigm? No. no. Okay. okay. I was, I was fully immersed in the paradigm. Like mm-hmm. I was, I would say things like, well, I guess it's all my fault then. Okay. You know? Yeah. Well, I guess you're just going to blame me. Yep. That's been the story my whole life. So I have had to figure out like, where does that come from? But it's taken layers and layers and layers of healing. Mm -hmm. So what happened is that um, a lot of my focus on figuring out why I behave the way that I behave had to do with this concentration on, oh, well, I had three different dads. I had this tumultual experience. I had trauma. I had, so of course that must be where it all stems from. And yes, it does. And what I didn't look at was, well, what am I learning from my mom? And my mother's generation has a way of handling things that's very different than my generation. Mm-hmm. Which they learned from their parents. Which, which they, they learned from their parents, right? You know? Yeah. And, and even if you look in, like I've even looked at the human design chart and I've looked at my mom's human design chart just to understand her better, like to understand what her soul's curriculum is, what her purpose is. Mm-hmm. And in her human design, what I see is a fixed position. Like it is fixed. Actually, if she changes, it doesn't feel good. Whereas my human design is all about evolution. And like change. And change, like changing and understanding and investigating and going in the past and digging things up and understanding it all. And like, so don't she's- think in, all human curriculum is about expansion? Like uh, that's why we're all here. You don't think that. No, and I I'm don't totally think so. Agree. Like you, you do you. I'm just- I mean, I, I only because I looked at her human design chart and I was like, yeah. who would pick this? From an evolutionist point of view, her human design chart is painful for me because I can't imagine like my whole life mission is to stay permanent and fixed. What? Who does that? But you (laughs) wouldn't know that you wouldn't, you wouldn't know that you want what you want without seeing what you don't want, which is what your mother's design chart is. Her design chart. So that contrast and, creates expansion. So even if your mom might be looking like she's not creating expansion, she is through you. She's creating an inner expansion of being able to stay present with what is, which is so uncomfortable and not change it, right? Which is uncomfortable like, for you. For me, because I change things. Right. And so it almost makes it you more empowered to want to do that, which then creates the expansion. Like, it's all about this like idea around contrast too. And I love like how you're touching on too, like how your mom did what she could with what she had. Right. And it's like so many parents have kids out of alignment, still knowing, not knowing what they're identifying with, what their past wounds might be. And so they're bringing up a kid into the world and that kid looks and they see that their parents like are either smiling at them or they're mad at them depending on what behavior they're doing. And then that's how they learn to grow up in the world versus like trusting their inner guidance system. Like that is just so not a part of the game, which it sounds like that was the exact scenario for you and very tumultuous and like a lot of learnings and growth and challenges through that. But like, it's just fascinating to me because what you're saying is applicable to like almost every human being. Yeah. Yeah. We all go through that early programming, but we chose that programming yes. because that's our soul's curriculum. So yes. that what I've learned through this whole inquiry, and it's taken me 
well, I don't know, my whole life so far, I'm 51. With your different modalities, I did 20 years of psychotherapy on a couch weekly talking about this stuff and like not at this level though, like at the mind level. Mm-hmm. And then I, that didn't, that got me into a tunnel and a, co- and a hole in the ground. <laughs> it didn't get me, it just labeled me. Like I got the labels and the diagnoses. And for a moment that feels good because you know what it is, but yes. then it feels terrible because you know what it is. Yes. Yeah. So it's not helpful. It, yeah. it gives like, it's like now you were around this identity of like, oh, well, I'm this diagnosis. Well, you just focus on the problem. Yeah. And with the problem, you're just going to get more of the problem versus like, okay, I'm not that anymore. Who am I? You know, like, and I don't, it, but like it's kind of shaming too. Like, yeah. it's like, it's like yeah. you're, it's like, it's kind of how I feel like about people when they talk about herpes, because I have herpes. Mm-hmm. And every time you talk about that, there's like this shame cloud that comes up like, oh, you're admitting it. I mean, really like most of the population has it. They just maybe don't experience it. Yeah. Nurses will tell you it's not a big deal. Like I've talked to so many nurses and doctors and they're like, everybody has it. Yeah. But we just don't talk about it because people don't like to know that they have it. Well, societally <laughs> acceptance, quote, I'm doing air quotes because people can't see, is like, I mean... <laughs> There is a part of me and it's still very much like this physical world thought is just like, there has to be some level of conformity. And then it's like, but does there? Does there? I don't have to like what you're doing. The best example I've ever heard, and because you and I love analogies, is with Abraham Hicks. And there's a huge buffet table and it has food you like and food you don't like. You don't sit there and go, I don't like that food. You just don't pick that food up. You pick up what you want and then you leave the buffet. Like that is like living in this world. Except control freaks would be like, control freaks would be like, you have to take, like if I don't like caviar, I'd be like, take that caviar off that buffet because it's infected everything else and I'm not going to eat anything on this buffet because that's present. (laughs) So it's like, these are all the coping mechanisms. We have Mm -hmm. the pleaser coping strategy. We've got the controller coping strategy. We've got the the escape artist, the runaway, you know, coping strategy. Mm -hmm. And we all have some version of these patterns in order to cope with when we were powerless and children for a brief time in our lives, we were powerless and we had to employ strategies to survive because our parents were crazy to us. You know, our parents were doing things we didn't anticipate and we're fresh and new and we're learning about this place called earth and having a human body and being part of a family. And the thing is like the thing to wake up, like true consciousness is realizing whatever you experienced is like one version of life out of 8 billion possibilities currently on the planet. It's not the right way. There is, is no right way. Only a way. It, right? It's just a way. Right. I love this because I, I told you, we just came back from Peru. I took a group to Peru and it was fantastic. And by the way, we're going again in June, 2021. So anybody who's like super excited by this. Awesome. I will put week a link of, in the show notes just so everybody knows. Week of transformation. But we we talked with the Caro um, medicine people. I hired a Caro medicine man they, um, and another one that called a Shakaruna and a Ultima Sayuk. I hired them and to teach my people and to do some transformation work with us and things like that. And it was interesting. At some point I realized I needed to have a conversation with them. I needed to under, I needed to explain that, you know, that my students were not um, banks, right? Because they kept bringing up new ways of the students to spend some money and buy some things. And I felt like that was really kind of out of alignment. I was like, no, we're, we're not doing that. This is an all-inclusive retreat. So I, I want my students to feel safe that they're not missing out on anything. 
they've already paid their money and we're going to get everything. So we're having this conversation and, and I found in myself, I was, I had to explain to these, to these uh, shamans, I just say, listen, the Carol people live high in the Andes mountains. They live high up in the mountains um, at like 16,000 feet. And there isn't a whole lot of anything except rocks. Like there's a lot of rocks. There's rocks everywhere. And that's why they use rocks as their main medicine. They call them kuyas, medicine stones. They use rocks to do their energy healing. Okay. But the thing is that the Caro have a lot of rocks on the outside, but they have a lot of love on the inside. They have a lot of family connection. They have, the family is so important to them, the community and the family. And they even have collectives. So if you buy some things from one um, Caro woman who's created beautiful tapestries and you, and she sells a lot, but the jewelry artist didn't sell very much. It doesn't matter because they all communally share the money to help the whole community to survive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they're very community oriented. They're very family oriented. And I explained to him, I said, listen, the Carol people, you have rocks on the outside. Westerners, we have rocks on the inside. You might think that we have this beautiful life and you see this image or this of us enjoying all these riches, but on the inside, we have all these rocks and traumas and stones and wounds and we, we are broken families, families that are broken apart. We can't communicate with each other. We argue, we separate, we walk away and we lose the preciousness of what you actually have, which is the greatest gift, which is family and community. Mm-hmm. So it's just opposites. It's like, you just have to realize that people live in different ways on this planet and there isn't one right way to live, mm-hmm. but there are different blessings and different challenges to each lifestyle. Like the Carol people, sure, they live close to the earth. They live in, most of them live in kind of mud huts that they built, mud bricks, and they live right on the earth. They are, you often see them just sitting right on Pachamama, right on the dirt, and they work with the animals and they walk all over the hills and that's kind of their life they don't have hot showers, right? So Western people are like, where's the hot shower? Where's my, where's my like comfy, soft bed with my pillow? Right. But what they have is on the inside, what they have is this beautiful love that just flows out of their hearts and connects all of their, they care about all their family members. They work through all the difficulties. They, they hang in there as a community through a lot of hardship. Mm-hmm. And I think we as Westerners, we can learn a lot from them. Yeah. And we enjoy our hot showers and we I enjoy say, I'm like, I fluffy beds. Both. Yeah. I want both, you know, but somehow, but how can you have both? Right. So it's like, this is the, this is really the magic of a lifetime is to go, how can I, with all of my external appearance of richness, mm-hmm. but my inner despair mm-hmm. come to a space of gratitude mm-hmm. and self responsibility that I can have a beautiful family, beautiful relationship, beautiful community in my service from the generosity of my heart and my spirit because I love and I care. How can I let go of all these riches and not care about it anymore, right? Like just if it's there, it's there. Right. You want it. You don't need it. Yeah. One of the affirmations I say every morning is I have everything I need. And now that I know that, more abundance has come into my life than when I was trying so hard to get it. To get it. 
Like on once you let go, the beautiful butterfly lands on your hand. <laughs> it's just crazy. But I think like, so I resonate with a lot that you're saying. I think there's like, I agree with all of it. I think um, one part, and I, I brought this up in other interviews and episodes is like, where do you draw the line between knowing that there's trauma, knowing that there's areas that we need to work on and um, maybe like stagnant energy, all those things. And then again, like just focusing on the problem and identifying with it and knowing, oh, I have issues. Oh, my childhood was hard. Oh, my parents got divorced when I was really young. I was abused, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Yes, I had trauma when I was younger, but there's always someone that's had worse trauma than me. There's always someone who had better childhood than I did. You know, it's like, it's all relative. So I'm not not acknowledging that, but where do you draw the line from working on it, focusing on it, like how you were saying, kind of diving into the pit versus like saying, okay, that's a part of like, that's a part of how I got here, I guess. I don't identify with that person anymore. I've already arrived. I love myself. Like nurturing that part of you versus focusing on what you need to upheaval in order to get to a place of peace. That's kind of a long question, but <laughs> yeah, it's a great question. It's the it's a it's the essential question really. <clears throat> so think about this as like we live on a plane of duality of light and dark, right? And most of us spend our time way on the outskirts. Like if there is a mastana, a, a medicine cloth that the Carol people have on the inside of their mesa, and it's to teach them this lesson of duality. On the one side is a whole strip of light, and on the other side is a whole strip of dark. Mm-hmm. And so just imagine that in front of you, a whole strip of white and a whole strip of dark. And in the center, they join. So most of us spend our time on the outside of the cloth. And we, we kind of swing from one side of the cloth on the outside to the other side of the cloth on the inside. And then we swing back and then we swing back and then we swing back. Or we just completely avoid the other side. Like, no, I'm staying in the light side. Yeah. I will... perfect. I'm fine. Like, that's not how I used to be. It's like, let me just shove this down real deep. Just <laughs> no one will ever find it. Yeah. And sometimes we go through phases of our life where we're totally on the shadow side and we're yeah. like Eeyore. We're like, whoa, I don't <laughs> Thanks know if Thanks I can do it. that. You know, like, I love that we both have a cute Eeyore. That's phenomenal. Okay. <laughs> so we, so the goal is through, that's, that's the human drama, right? The right. human drama is swinging bet- between the extremes of the polarities. Right. And not only just swinging between the extremes of the polarities, but entrenching in one or more camps and then identifying as it as a core part of your identity. Mm-hmm. Like if you've ever seen people fight, like typically men, but sometimes women fight over like baseball teams or football teams and you're like, oh, I'm a you Dallas Cowboys, you know. Literally hated the Vikings. Hated. I use that word. I was raised that way. That's what my dad taught me. It's horrible. But I would be like ferociously angry. Like anybody who supports the other team is completely an idiot. So unhealthy. And I'd be like, that's a character flaw if you like. Yeah, you're damaged. My best friend like growing up was a huge (laughs) Vikings fan. It's hilarious. 
So you could say it and laugh. Like if you're just like teasing and it's just funny and you're actually don't believe it, that's one thing. It can be a fun game. But if you really believe that, that's, that is an attachment issue, right? And so some people actually make those polarity extremes part of their identity. And that's why we have so many people fighting in the United States right now. They really believe the rhetoric around one camp or the other, and then they take it on as their identity. And then they, they, either or the other person is like the devil. And so they just, you know, they judge them and shame them and blame them and outcast them and say, you must be just like derelict. And, you know, so this is why we're in the state we are in the United States. Yeah. So the Carol people learn, they learn, they all learn this teaching around the polarities and they all see the cloth and they all get taught about the extremes. And so the goal is to bring yourself greater and greater more at the time along the center line. Mm-hmm. So you're just bringing yourself. So, so light workers would be well equipped, um, well served by exploring their shadow, for example, mm-hmm. and people who are really trapped in their shadow and really like identifying as a victim consciousness would be well served to embrace some empowerment and some light and some um, gratitude for their journey. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So we're, so all of it teaches us. We learn from everything there is. It all teaches us. Yeah. And, the, and the goal is to weave it closer and closer to the center so you're not having these big swings. Yes. Or you're not encamped on one side or the other. Yeah. So the way... Because if you're even on the light side, if you're really far entrenched in it, anything comes up for you. It's almost like you can't... Like you then you tend to ignore, like you were saying before. And like, you just can't hold space. Yeah. I actually, when I watch movies, I'm super cool. And I write down quotes that really, um, oh, it's from Harry Potter. (laughs) Um, We all have light and dark within us. It's based on the part we choose to act on. That's who we really are. There you go. It's kind of interesting. But it's also, that can lead some light workers to say, oh, well, see, that's verification that I should not look in the shadow or spend any time there. And that's not really true. So here's how I gauge it. I, I think of like, if you have a sticky situation with somebody in your life, like your mom, let's just say, and, or your ex-husband, so we just pick one, you know, yep. Yep. and you, and you, they do some, they know how to just touch the spot that just sets you off. Right. Yep. So don't ignore that. Yes. Like that actually is gold. Cause when yeah. you finally go inside and look at that thing and see what's in there and feel it and have self-compassion and really bring it to a state of acceptance and honoring, you'll it'll reveal its gift to you. It'll reveal to you why it was wounded and now why it's a gift. And then you claim it. So you know you're done when you're neutral. Yeah. And you know that your how oh, your consciousness is more enlightened when not only are you neutral about it, but you can feel a measure of compassion for the other person while having compassion for yourself and then the next level is you actually feel gratitude for that that it even happened. Like yeah. you feel grateful that you got to discover this about yourself through this interaction and you're actually grateful towards the person even if they're still kind of acting like a shit, you know, you're yeah. still grateful for them. So that is, that's just from my level of understanding. And I wouldn't say I'm like the most enlightened person. I'm just like on the path, but from my current understanding and my current embodiment, that's kind of how I feel whenever I 
encounter now my mom who, who she and I have had quite a journey. We've had a lot of moments of not feeling that way. Okay. So, and where I'm working on now, it's like, I feel so much love for her and I feel so much gratitude for her. And she still can say things that poke those wounded spots. So mm-hmm. it's not like those are gone. I still feel those and I go, okay, there's that. But the difference is now I know it's for me. Mm-hmm. I know it's mine. Yes. And I don't have to push it back. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't need her to be different. Right. Now, it would be great if I can paint a picture for her that inspires her towards the kind of relationship we could have. Like, yeah. And I do try that from time Give to time. Give her a fine reputation to live up to. I, I, Carnegie said. Yeah. I try to inspire her like, hey, I've experienced this kind of relationship. I've watched, you know, in the power path, I've watched Lena and Anna, mother-daughter team, have this kind of relationship and, and they have good boundaries and they respect each other. And this is what it looks like to me. And this is what I really value in their relationship. And it taught me so much. And I would love to have that with you. So that's just to inspire that connection, to inspire the potential of that. She might never say yes to that. It might be too much. Mm-hmm. It's for me, the book is still, un, you know, not written all the way. We have some more time. Mm-hmm. So I just think hope springs eternal, you know, and the actual spiritual seeker, you know, it's like, how much more can I learn from this relationship? No matter what way that relationship goes, you're still learning and growing and you're still receiving golden benefits. So when you flip into this perspective, it doesn't really matter what's happening with the other person because no matter which way it goes, you're still growing, you're still expanding, you're still learning about yourself and you're still receiving from the universe. I agree with that wholeheartedly. And I think too, something that I dealt with recently is like when someone bothers you in a certain way, whether it's a friend or a family member, like you were saying, it's an opportunity for you to recognize something within you that needs to be healed. Otherwise, like you said, you'd be neutral to it. Um, I always use the analogy of like, if someone made fun of me for being super tall, I wouldn't be offended by that because I'm not super tall. But if someone told me I was really bossy, that might hurt my feelings because I've identified as being bossy before as a negative thing, you know? So those are just some easy examples for our listeners to kind of tangibly understand what we're trying to say here. But I also think that there's a point where um, when you look within and you kind of tap into your heart center and you ask yourself, is this relationship serving me anymore? And if it comes from a place of neutrality, like you're saying, it's not aggression or fear or I don't want to be around you anymore. You trigger me, you know, like that mentality where you actually have more angst not being around them because you talk crap about them or whatever. But I do think there's a time in which if a relationship isn't serving you, you're okay to walk away from that. Even if there were triggers that were teaching you, as long as you have the energy around you of like, I'm, I'm cool with that. And I wish them the best. Like, I would love your thoughts on that. Cause I was juggling back and forth on that with like, just thinking about it in general is like, well, you don't want to push away those learnings, but there becomes a time where maybe you've learned it, or maybe you still need to work on it, but you're going to have that lesson learned through another way. Like you're never done until you're done. So if you need that lesson still, the universe is going to serve it up to you. But I think there's a point where if you can be at peace with removing a relationship to make your life better and to serve yourself, I think that that's okay. But I would love like your take on that, whether you keep them around to keep learning the lessons or like, how would you handle that situation? Well, it really depends because sometimes, sometimes the relationship is um, a catalyst for you to learn something about yourself that has to do with boundaries. 
Oh, right? interesting. Yeah. So sometimes yeah. you need to set a boundary with someone and that means that you set the boundary and you resist the urge to go and fix it after. Yeah. Yeah. Because pleasers and fixers, we, we're like, we set the boundary, but then we start feeling bad about it, guilty, guilty about it. Yeah. And then we're like, well, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Maybe that was me. Maybe that wasn't the nicest thing. Maybe I shouldn't have set that boundary. And then we go back on our word and then we go back on ourselves and then we go and try to like reach back out. Right. Yeah. So, so it's kind of tricky. Like it depends on the scenario, but I think that you can feel whether something has energy, like you can feel if it has charge, if it has charge, there's still like something in there for you to learn and claim. Yeah. And this is where you have to use discernment because it might be that it's not safe for you to be engaging in that relationship. Like, let's say that it's a physically violent relationship. Well, that is not a safe place for you to be engaged. You're not supposed to learn anything from that besides boundaries. Yeah. Boundaries. So that's not, even though there's charge there, you might need to give it time before you could, and let the universe conspire to bring it back around if it needs to come back around for further healing. But if it's currently physically violent, well, then you're not going to engage in that. That's right. not appropriate right. for you. So, so here's, a now, here's a way to think about it, is that inside of you, inside of all of us, is your inner child, your own inner child. And it starts from when you were a baby and then when you're one and two and three and four and all the way up until like now. You have all these ages that you ever were that are all active and alive inside of you. You're not just the you you are now. You're the you plus all of these other yous you ever were all the way back into your birth. Right, right. So I always pick one that I know had like some issues feeling safe. Like maybe my one-year-old, for example, because at one, my mom left my natural father, which to me as a one-year-old seemed really terrible. And then I knew I was responsible for somehow for the breakup because of the way it happened. So that was traumatic for me at one. So I often pick my one-year-old or my two-year-old, you know, the ones in there. And I just consider like how, if I'm making this decision about this relationship or this thing I want to do or don't do, and I'm trying to make my decision, I hold inside of me that little child and I say, would this be good for my one-year-old? Would this be a healthy environment, a healthy decision for my two-year-old? Is this a space that I would take a little child? And if this is not a space that I would take a little child with me that I want to protect and love and care for, then I would not take myself there. Oh, wow. That's powerful. Because she's in me and she watches everything. So... I don't, and if anyone hasn't done inner child work before, I understand how bizarre this sounds. I get it. I totally get it. That was me a thousand percent. We don't talk about it. It's kind of shoved under the covers and still you, until you start doing this work, that has been some of the most profound, helpful work is recognizing that because you take things at face value, like Carrie's saying, and you don't question it and that becomes your reality and then you bring with you those beliefs into your adulthood and then experiences happen and likely reaffirm those beliefs. And until you break down and go, well, wait, what actually happened when I was six? And I worked with this on a therapist and we did, um, what did we do? It was something hypnosis. It was beautiful. It was super bizarre. But like she would hypnotize me basically to like go back to that version of me and reprocess the entire experience from like my new fresh eyes. And it was so profound to see like, 
oh my gosh, that had like nothing to do with me. Like that has nothing, my mom saying that to me or doing that to me has nothing to do with me. And I've been carrying this huge boulder backpack for 20 years and living my life with that being my fault or whatever, you know, or me doing something wrong or me causing uh, her to act that way. And it's just like, I can't tell you how profound that is, which kind of leads me into talking about your book and like all the things that you're doing right now, which is really focusing on like healing this inner child and like you call them your mother wounds. Is that kind of the language? Yeah. Yeah. So I'd love to hear kind of, if you want to elaborate more on that, cause that was so beautiful. I think that is just so helpful. Yeah. So all of us have these inner wounds. We all come in with a core wound and usually it's, we get it, we inherit it from our ancestry. Well, so how do we inherit that? Well, we usually inherit that from inside our mother's womb. So that's where it comes from. Now think about this. For thousands of years on this planet, women have been considered to be property. You could kill a woman if you if you were unhappy with her and she was your spouse. You could just kill her, right? You could what? just murder. Her. Yeah, what there are, there are cultures in this world where you can still do that. If you oh don't, God. if you're upset with your wife, you can kill her. She's your property. Um, you know, we've had cultures where um, across the whole the whole world for thousands of years where women's um, wisdom has been discounted where they've been made to like, think about the witch trials and any woman that had any kind of knowledge or wisdom or intuition was murdered, right. Mm -hmm. For having that Mm -hmm. and, and suspicion of like being under the devil's work or something like that. So you just look at just the history of women on this earth. And we have been really seriously mistreated for thousands of years. Now also couple that with the realization that the way that you come into the world is by inheriting ancestral patterns, belief systems, and consciousness from your mother's womb as you're gestating in the soup of your mother's consciousness. Mm -hmm. So maybe that explains why we've had so much trouble on earth with rape and incest and these patterns that keep passing down and a feeling of like unworthiness in, in, in our women and even our men, you know, this, this lack, this feeling like something's missing. Yeah. Like I need to prove my worthiness. Yeah. I need to prove my worthiness for love. Right. Yeah. And acceptance. Yeah. Yeah. And, and simultaneously, because everything is fractals. And so if you go down to like our, your one experience as a, as a person, and now you extrapolate that to the whole planet and to like, you know, generations and generations of human beings, what has also been lost in our development is a connection with our mother earth. So instead of living in harmony and understanding our mother earth and taking actions that support the health of the oceans, that support the health of the land, that support the health of our food that we're putting into our bodies, instead of doing that, we're focused on the mind and what the mind thinks it wants, which is what? Money, short-term profits. So we, you know, we rape and pillage the earth herself for all of her resources so we can have a temporary solution to travel around the world for a plane, for example, which I just did. So I'm, you know, I'm also participating in a system. But what I'm saying is that we have to really step back now and realize that this mother wound is not just, it's, a, it's something that's inherited through all of our ancestral line. <clears throat> and also it's something that all of humanity has a wound of connection with their mother earth. So we now have to become conscious that that's been going on 
and decide to heal and decide to change. And the most powerful place, the most powerful people, group of people, if there is one group of people that had the most ability to affect change on the planet at this time, it would not be the politicians, okay? It's not them. It would be the mothers Mm -hmm. because mothers have this unique understanding of what it means to sacrifice oneself for a child, to be on call for someone because you have to. When you have a child, the child is sick, you're on call. When you have, the child has a need, you're on call. And we all answer this call to varying degrees of expertise and our ability to love, right? So we all have our own degree of ability to answer that call. But in a mother's heart is the chance for agape love. When you see your baby for the first time, when you hold a baby, this tiny little being that came out of you, it grew in your belly. And you, you're like, wow, my body's doing these things. I didn't even know it could do. I could like make breast milk. I'm going to feed this baby and it grows. It like with only my breast milk. How did that happen? Right. You hold this child, something profound happens inside of you. That's like the biggest awakening of all. And not everybody takes the awakening. So I want to say, if you had a mom that didn't open to this, I understand. This is the potential of the agape love in your heart. And any woman out there who feels what I'm saying and you don't have children, you have, you have a womb that's capable. You're, you know, you, you have that in you, your body, your body knows what that means. And I'm talking about it. I'm activating it. And your body's like, yes, I know what that means. I know what it means to do that. So not to leave the men out of the equation, but it's like the men have been struggling for a long time to figure things out. And this is how far we got. And it's great. We have all these technologies and these advancements. And thank you, men, for doing that. But the women, we need to step into our power now. Mm-hmm. And we need to use our voices. And we need to reclaim and heal ourselves inside. We need to reparent our inner child. We need to have consciousness about what our ancestry has experienced for thousands of years, for all these generations. We need to have consciousness about what we have inherited, mm-hmm. specifically, And we need to make the choice to heal it now. This is the powerful way. When we stand as one and we come into harmony with the earth again, we reharmonize, we heal ourselves, we reconnect, our hearts open. And when our hearts open, we see things differently. From an open heart, we would not pollute the ocean. Right. We wouldn't do that. From an open heart, a loving, compassionate heart, we would try diplomacy with another country rather than war. Mm-hmm. From an open, healed place, we can look outside of our own life mm-hmm. into our family, our community, our country, because we have more space. But if we're focused on our wounded story because it's not healed, if we haven't brought healing, we haven't found the space to heal there, we can't be in service in a greater way. And then we're still just stuck in the human drama. Right, right. <clears throat> Yeah, because initially, I mean, when you bring up all those topics to someone, it could be like, it sounds very overwhelming. Like even thinking about just like, I'm so empathetic. I love people. I love human beings. Like it's insane. I just like my heart, I I can't watch scary movies or sad things because I feel like it's happening to me. And I get like really, really engaged in that. So even you just talking about the plan, I'm like, oh God. And I used to be that way where I was like composting and like, trying to do everything perfect. And I was so stressed out. And ultimately it like leads within. And when you're talking about open heart, of course, I have another quote I want to read. Um, But it's like, it's an open heart means like feeling enough and worthy and loving yourself. 
Because when you can do that, when you can feel whole, then you can be confident in who you are. You can step back into your power. And when you show up in your power, nothing outside of you can take you down. And there's no expectation from others or society or the government or whatever. I need you to be X in order for me to be okay. That statement doesn't exist. No, and and the other thing is like you talked about the overwhelm. Part of the overwhelm is caused by this addiction we have in Western culture that we have to figure everything out from our minds and prove it somehow Mm. and justify it and have like a thousand page report proving it. (laughs) And then we can take the action, right? Right. And so that's stressful. That's a whole lot of overhead to like every single decision. Like, is there really global warming? Are we really polluting the oceans? All these questions. It's like, come on, if you came from your heart and you were actually connected, you would go, well, of course I know we are. Right. Right. And so you would just admit it instead of like having this runaround with your brain to try to prove it. Right. So or like making it your fault. Yeah. And then you like just whole field trip. Like saying, yeah. We got to so get past have, that. Listen like, to this quote. I feel like you'll love it. You probably yeah. heard it. I don't know who it's from actually. But okay. So to change the world, I have to change myself. To change myself, I have to stop my world. When I stop my world, I can change myself. And when I can change myself, I can change the world. That's right. I love that. Because when you're stopping the world, when you're stopping the world, you're no longer agreeing or believing with the ways that you were thinking before, that you were taught by the conditioned way of being in our society that we've all conformed to because we're taught to conform to stay in the tribe. Yeah. So when you stop the world, you, 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 you become a rebel in a way for a moment and you say, no, I'm not doing any of this. I'm going to stop. I'm going to go into stillness. Yeah. I'm going to reconnect with my inner, like you're talking about my inner self, my inner knowing my body's telling me, my heart is telling me, my heart and my body tell me it's wrong what we're doing to the planet. My heart and my body tell me we need to pay more attention. My heart and my body tell me we need to take care of these people that are homeless and starving somehow. We need to help them. Yeah. Like when you actually have an open heart and you tune into that place, you know it's wrong. It's right. the egoic mind that, that wants to like, I don't want to make that my responsibility. Right. Right. Or that I must sacrifice my well-being in order to help support those people. Right. Which is and the opposite side of the coin. Exactly. It's like going to get you nowhere. Um, the, the ultimate is we need to help everybody to be empowered in themselves right. and to be on their soul's journey and to be taking that journey and trust that in fact, they already are on that journey, but we are all being called to wake up now. Yeah. And I know that many people have heard this call to wake up. Like you just keep hearing it all over the place. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Like everyone's saying it and you maybe heard it in your, in your heart too. Like I need to wake up. And you're wondering, well, how do I wake up? Yeah, I was just going to say that. <laughs> how do I do like, that? What, what's the first step? And it's almost like, I think, I love what you just said. You said trust. And I think that's such a huge part of it. But like learning to trust and understanding what you're trusting in. I think it's almost like creating that desire, throwing that desire out there and being open. I almost feel like is the one step you need to take. And then you will be shown. And then once things start to unfold for you, it becomes so undeniable that you have this guidance system that's here to support you because you get all this evidence. 
once it starts working. It takes a little bit of time because you're reshifting beliefs and patterns and all these things. And then it just becomes crazy. And you're almost like, it's like laughable because you're just like, I was doing everything completely opposite from this. This is way easier. It's much more fun. I'm actually enjoying life. And I'm like helping people. I'm helping others. I'm helping myself. And it's like, then you are like, well, shit, how do I tell other people about this? And I think that's where this podcast stems for me is I'm just like, there isn't like one thing. And like the whole theme of this podcast, there's no right way. I think that's the biggest misconception of all, but there's no one thing either that we can just say, all right, guys, you know, just go out there, buy the the doodad (laughs) and press play and you'll be cured. It's just like the whole idea that you need something outside of you to fix you. Like that whole thought is wrong. And, but it's what we've been told. So I get why people think that, you know, and it's like, I need to listen to this podcast or take your course or read that book. And it's like, you don't need to do any of that. If you want to do it, that's cool. But like everything is just, it's right inside here. Yeah, I would absolutely. We don't have to do anything and nobody's path is the same as anybody else's. Yeah. It's kind of like how I've done it is I have, well, I realized I was at the bottom of a pit and I had to make a decision. Am I going to live or die? Okay. And then you may, I had to make that decision a couple times because then that, that sneaky little victim consciousness came back in and wanted to, you know, with the suicidal ideations over and over. So I had to finally firmly decide, no, I'm here. I'm actually here. So you have to get to the place where you decide that. Okay, I'm sticking around. Mm-hmm. And then once you make that decision, you have to decide, do I want to suffer or do I want to move myself into a state of happiness, like no matter what's happening? So that's the next decision. Do I want to suffer or do I want to find a way to be happy? Okay. and if finding a way to be happy means you have to investigate some painful things inside of yourself, then so be it. And that's the third decision is I will go through my initiations to find my happiness. I will do that to Mm -hmm. reveal it within myself. I will do that. Mm -hmm. It's that commitment. And sometimes we fall off the path because, you know, you may have a really tough lesson and Mm -hmm. it hurts. And so the victim consciousness comes back and you succumb to it for a little while. Maybe you have too much wine and you overeat and you have too much cake and then you put on some pounds and then you beat yourself up some more for it, you know, yeah, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. And then you decide at some point you wake up one morning, and you say, you know what? I remember that I could actually lift myself by understanding what's happening. Yeah. And you pull up some spiritual book or you get inspired and then you're back on the flow and you just keep getting the synchronistic signs and the points and the markers and you just keep saying yes to it and opening and saying yes. So if you're inspired, follow. If you're, if you know, I I stopped believing everything. I stopped believing that I had to have a 401k. I stopped believing that I had to do it this certain way. I I said, okay, if my heart says I'm going to Peru, then I'm going to take that money out of my 401k and I'm going to Peru. Yeah, Because that's the greater gift. There's something there for me that's beyond this limited existence I have been programmed to have. Well, and if you felt, felt inspired to do that, then that's where it's at. Like there, the whole idea of how, like in my profession with real estate, it's like, okay, how do you get a client? There's 9 million ways to discern what that looks like. And like all of them are great. And maybe all of them aren't for you. Like you just find your own way and your own path. And once you release the how, I think that's like such a human condition is like, okay, so tell me the steps. How does this work? How do I make that happen? How do I feel this way? How do I work through what I need to work through? And like, 
having guidance through like working with Carrie or any other coach or other people who have been through it is definitely supportive. But it's interesting to me because it's like, if we were, we can do it on our own. I think it's possible. It's just the fact that we don't think that we can. So then we need the support along the way, which makes it go quicker because coaches are standing at the top of the mountain, seeing the clear path. And you're kind of drudging through the other side, trying to figure it out for yourself. And they're like, hey, see that light over there? Like, if you just climb up those steps that I have paved, you'll be cool. So, like, I think there's definitely um, two ways to go about it. And I think we sometimes are like, well, I sacrificed and I took the hard way when, like, there's just, there is a much easier way to go about it. But will you allow yourself to do that is the question, you know? Well, and sometimes going like choosing that harder path and that shadow path for yourself. Well, that's my 21 year old son right now. So that's his choice, right? Yeah. So I've definitely paved the way. I mean, he sits there for a year and a half. He sat down and listened to all my broadcasts and everything. So he knows this is another way, but he, you know, some, there's something about claiming it for yourself. There's something about bushwhacking it, you know, and finding your own path. And for some people that's really exciting for a while to like to find their own way and yeah. so that's part of their dharma maybe they maybe they need to go all the way down and do that in order to serve more people because they've charted it for themselves and mm-hmm. now they can help others so maybe they just wanted to go for the you know the really challenging ride so i feel like we we can't it's just so important to realize that there is not one right way there's 8 billion right ways and they change all the time every moment and we're all being guided by spirit, whether we think we are or not. And so if you surrender to the process, you can actually have more fun with it. And if you don't surrender with it, it's still happening. You're just resistant to it and it's causing suffering. So it's, it's way you know, harder. You choose one <laughs> or the other, your choice. Yeah. But if you think you've got it all figured out, like say you have a, you know, a big dream and, and you've charted the whole thing and you have your five-year plan and with every single step lined out like this, like this, like this. You know, Martin Luther King says, you will only see the next step. Yeah. And he had a big dream. Yeah. So if you have got this plan and you've got all the steps and everything's laid out and you know exactly how it's going to be, you're not dreaming big enough. It's too small for you. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's serving you and you're open to possible other opportunities. But if you're closing yourself off and only saying this is going to happen, like, you probably know this story. It's like the person's out in the middle of the ocean on a boat and they pray to God. They're like, Hey, come save me. And like something else happens where this guy comes by and he's like, Hey, can you help me out? Or something? He's like, no, wait, I'm waiting for a message from God. And then he dies. Cause he's just like, it wasn't the message he was looking for. Um, So I think there's a part where it's like, you can put together the how, cause that might be something that serves you to like have that certainty and feel in control you have to then be open that that might not be the way it plays out. Well, if you want magic to happen, if you want the magical spirit mystery tour ride to happen, then you need to open to the bigger picture because that happens. Leap and the nettle appear. Is that kind of the announcement? You just happen. You just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. It's like, so the one version is I planned everything out. I know exactly how it's all going to happen. It's kind of like being a little kid going downstairs on Christmas morning before anybody else gets up, unwrapping all your presents, seeing what you have inside and then closing them back up. And then when everybody gets together, you're like acting surprised. 
<laughs> so you can do that. Or you can like come down with everybody else and be surprised with what you got. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Your choice. Yeah. Yeah. I, the only reason I know how much that sucks is because I did that one day. One time when I was a kid, I went down. I like that though. I went down and I looked to see like what all the gifts were. I have to yeah. tell you the experience of sitting through Christmas morning that year was so disappointing. It was <laughs> terrible because I already knew what I was. <laughs> I already know what these all are. I knew what all the gifts were and I had to act surprised. It was really terrible. Well, on that point too, something that I always think about is like, um, I am very urgency, like, or I used to be very much. So I'm much more patient now and like allowing the process to unfold um, but when I was trying to get it quicker, it's like, I'd be like, if this came really fast, I wouldn't even appreciate it. Cause I'd just be like, I learned nothing. There were no challenges. I didn't experience growth. I didn't learn practice patience. It's like, if everything just came easy, it wouldn't feel not saying you have to work hard, but I'm just saying like, there might be things that you have to do that you might not be anticipating and it'll make rewards so much juicier than in our minds. We're like, I want a million dollars. I want this perfect person. I want this, this, and this. And if they all just showed up instantly, then you'd be like, well, now what? You'd have to actually be with that. And you'd be like, none of this actually makes me happy because it's the idea of who we think we'll be once we get those things, which is why we want them. When that is already here for you now without those things. Yeah, and a whole other topic. <clears throat> yeah, whatever you end up getting is like pretty much uh, you have to, you know, enjoy and appreciate it. Yeah. Because if you don't, then the next time you ask for something, then the universe is a little less cooperative. So gratitude is a magic elixir, no matter what's going on, yeah. is to be grateful for it and to appreciate the gift that you got, that you said you wanted, but maybe you didn't understand. Because that often happens. Mm-hmm. We get what we want, but we don't actually understand what it was we were asking for. Yeah. And then we get it and now we get to discover, well, why, why did I want this? And what does this mean? And what is it like? And, and sometimes, you know, we get that experience and it doesn't feel exactly like what we wanted. Right. So, or we thought it would be, yeah. but we are learning from that too. So yeah. I think, I think the basic message is that you can't do it wrong. I mean, there's no way to live life, life wrong. You just can't. Right. I know yeah. that we have cultural ideas around that, but I think that they're very bogus. Yeah. So I, I don't buy into that. I think that you can live your life however it is your heart's calling you to. And, and if your heart is calling you to live your life in a, in a way that seems flamboyant to others, I say, go do it, you know, and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, one last question um, I like to do on the end of the podcast is what do you know for sure? What do I know for sure? Let's see. What do I know for sure? Well, I know I'm breathing. That's pretty much what I know. At least I think I am because I can even question that. Totally. It feels like I'm breathing. My response, just so you know the out of this, is that I know nothing. Yeah. (laughs) I'm having perceptions of things that seems real. Yeah. And yet I know that this entire thing is an illusion. Yeah. I do know that this whole thing is an illusion. It's an yeah. illusion. Yeah. I know that. And I know that we're we're learning and growing through this illusion because we're mostly space. I mean, yeah. we're just a little bit of particle. So Yeah. Yeah. This like I'm empty. This is just a bag of hot air coming at you guys from 
over here. That's what she knows. <laughs> That's what she knows for sure, folks. A bag of hot air. That's what I am. <laughs> oh my god, you're hilarious! You just listened to me for like an hour, so you must be too. <laughs> I mean, we all are. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> Oh, this is lovely. Ah, so many good nuggets. Did you enjoy this episode? If you did, then head on over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. We sincerely appreciate your feedback. Stay tuned for another episode of Connect Back In, and thank you for listening.